0: willing, uh, we will finish it today. But if he's not, I think I might finish it next week because I've just enjoyed it so much. A break from very practical, uh, applicational to a historical book that reveals the character of God. And, And if there's one thing that I'm looking forward to in the future of our church, it's actually studying more of the Old Testament. Um, it's the foundational books that reveal to us over time how God's revealed himself to mankind from Adam all the way through Revelation. And so the book of Ruth, and if you're not familiar with it, it's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then I think Judges. Joshua. Sorry. I messed, Where was Joshua at? Joshua, Judges. Thank you. Hey, Bible students, go for it. You guys can correct me anytime you want, as long as you're right. Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. So what you need to know about the book of Ruth is that it's set in the time, many scholars disagree on this, but I believe it's set in the time of Judges. It was a time in the nation they didn't have a king yet, They actually had these rulers that kind of had followed the footsteps of Moses, and they heard from the Lord, and they would make judgments. God would anoint men, common everyday folk, one time Deborah, because there were no men, and they would be anointed by the Holy Spirit to make judgments and to exercise the law over specific situations. And they were to lead the people. Well, what would happen in the nation of Israel is there would be these cycles of sin, Uh, the people would have great victories, Uh, these judges would be raised up, they would lead the people, and then with victory would come comfort, and then they'd start to depend upon the Lord less because they didn't need him as much, because, hey, we got this, right? And then the next thing you know, they would start going back to their old sinful ways, rejecting the law of God, and then God would uh, allow them to be judged by the nations surrounding them, So that they would have a need. And once again, he would rise up another judge and they would follow this judge. And many times these judges had flaws of their own. But you need to know is the main phrase in the book of Judges is, and the people did what was right in the sight of their own eyes. Every man did what was right in their own eyes. They did whatever felt good. They did whatever seemed right. Uh, But Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to man, and yet it leads to destruction. And if we continue to follow our own hearts, what we find is that sin abounds and destruction abounds, and then God is, we're ripe to be judged. And so God, in his kindness, would send these judges to, to bring things back around to where they needed to be, and then as time wore on and they would have victories, again, they would go into these cycles of sin. They would start to reject the commands of God. They would start to worship other gods. They would do things that God can't bless. And so, in this dark, dark time of the nation of Israel, there's a little parenthetical story about a woman by the name of Ruth. But what we find out about Ruth is that she's not even a covenant people. She's a Moabite. She's the direct descendant of someone from the past that was not inside the covenant of Israel that God made with the Israelites. And so, um, what we find in Ruth chapter 1 is the story... Of an everyday family in everyday circumstances, and they were trying to deal with those circumstances. So in Ruth chapter 1, it says, It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, and that's why I believe it's in the context of the book of Judges. He says, um, That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, Not the person Judah from the Old Testament, but actually the location, Bethlehem and the province of the tribe of Judah, which is southern Israel. He went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem. Judah, uh, Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab and the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years and then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And so, in our day and age, uh, we've seen similar stories. Many of you know families that have gone through similar similar circumstances. But uh, as you read this woman's story, I, I truly believe that this is kind of the Old Testament's equivalent of Job for ladies. Because Job lost his family, he lost his children, he did not lose his wife, but he lost his cattle, he lost his livestock... His barns were blown down, his ability to earn a living. And so in in many ways, he lost what might seem like more. But as we're here we are at Mother's Day. And what is one of the worst things that we've seen happen to moms is that they lose their husband or they lose their children. And maybe you wouldn't agree with me on that, but moms care. Moms are not wired like dads. Dads care, they just care in different ways. But moms take everything to heart, right? And, and they care deeply about the people that they care about. And so in this case, in her world, she may not have lost um, their buggy or their horse or their livestock or even their land, but she's lost her world. She's lost her husband and she's lost her children. And so uh, it's one thing to never be able to have children uh, and maybe some of you would have different opinions on this, but I'm going to say it's a whole nother thing to have children, to invest your life in them: blood, sweat and tears, sleepless nights, labor, all the things that go along with being a mom, and then to lose a child. It's devastating. Now, I think it, you can't really compare the two, because either way, it's barrenness, it's brokenness, It's painful. It's grievous. It's sad. And so we have this woman who has just gone through a great ordeal, and she's lost in her mind probably everything. Now, one of the things you need to know about the nation of Israel is is in the times God had promised in his law to them, if you will do these things, then there will be blessing attached to obedience. And so if they would obey the law, if they would keep the commandments, if they would keep their relationship right with God, if they would not worship other gods, if they would not covet other people's wives, if they would, you know, like all of the Ten Commandments, there was blessing attached to obedience. And when they would start to disobey, there would also be cursing. And so cursing would essentially be judgment on them. And so for the people in the nation of Israel, this is not a land like Egypt where there was always water flowing through. They depended highly, primarily, on the rain that would fall from the sky. Now, who causes that? God. And so as long as they were in a right spot with Him, He'd leave the water on for them in just the right amounts, and there would just be this fruitfulness that would flow from their land. But in the times of disobedience, in the times of sin abounding, they oftentimes we kind of mistake God's long-suffering for His condoning our sin. Well, God hasn't struck me down with lightning yet, so He must be okay with it. But in their day, that's how God dealt with them. So if they were in sin, and sin has this way of kind of blinding us to the fact that we're in it, He would heighten their senses, if you will, and He'd shut off the water, and then here comes the famine. Think about just last week, we were reading in James chapter 5, Elijah prayed, and when he prayed, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. He wasn't praying that because he was trying to be mean. He wasn't praying that because they had done something to him. He was praying that because it was the will of God that the land would not produce crops because they were in sin. They had the most ungodly leadership that they had ever had, and they were following it wholeheartedly. Sin was abounding, and so God shut off the water and said, okay, there's going to be a famine. He didn't do it so they would perish. He did it so they would realize the state they were really in, that they needed to repent and turn back to him. And so in the case of this famine, they were in sin. God shut off the water faucet. He shut off the the fruitfulness of the land, and it was meant to get their attention because God chastises those that he loves. And so Here we have this family that instead of staying in the land, for whatever reason, rather than repenting, they leave the land that God promised their descendants, and they go to a forsaken land, a land full of idolatry, and and they stay there, and they find fruitfulness there. Now, what you need to know about the names of these people is that Elimelech, his name means my God is king. My God is king. So he was a God-fearer. He was a worshiper of God at least his parents were. They would name their children based on the circumstances when they were born. And so, for instance, Naomi's name means pleasantness. So they have the baby, imagine she's holding him, uh, the mom, and she just looks down and says, oh, how pleasant. And they would name the child Naomi. Now, interesting, Naomi's children, their names are Malon and Chilion, which is sickly and pining. So how how about that? You know, I'm glad that my parents didn't name me sickly or pining, but many believe that when Malon was born, he must have been either born prematurely or he was had what we would call nowadays failure to thrive, and, and so that he needed a lot of extra attention. He was sickly. And so with these names, what we find is that we have this family um, that ends up marrying Moabite women. And once they marry these Moabite women, they they become part of the family. So in verse 6, it goes on to say, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. So their barrenness of land, their lack of fruitfulness... It seems they have repented and it seems God's turned his face back towards them. He's making his grace to shine upon them and he's making them fruitful once again. And so she gets news from her homeland and therefore she went out from the place where she was and her daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land and Judah. Excuse me, the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Now to be a woman in the state of Naomi's and to have these daughters-in-law, think about in-laws. It's not kind of a positive term many times in most families. Uh, Most families, you hear the term in-law, you're like, oh gosh, but that's fun, you know? And maybe that's not the case for you, and I hope it's not. There's blessing in those relationships that God's given you that are not blood relatives. But the reality is, here they seem to have a good relationship with Naomi. They're sticking by her side, even though the sons, basically, their obligation is no longer there. Now, keeping in mind that Naomi, she's lost. Her, her husband, which is the, probably the sole source of income in their house, and she's lost her two sons. So any sort of income, any sort of uh, way to make money to continue to survive is gone. Uh, women did not work as, as much as they do these days. And so she's lost her ability to thrive. She's in a state of failure to thrive. And so what is she going to do? she's at least got these daughters-in-law. And then she goes, you know what? I'll go back to my family. I'll go back to my land and God will take care of me there. And if you know anything about the Old Testament law, there was provision within the law for widows and for orphans to be taken care of and for the poor. And so God's written in these mercy, these laws of compassion to deal with those that don't have a way to make money for their own. And so, we have this blessing here in verse 8 and 9. Naomi is in a spot of feeling like she's cursed, and she'll go on to say that later. And yet in the midst of her brokenness, she wishes her daughter's-in-law well. She says to them, the Lord deal kindly with you. She's, she's blessing them, literally, to, to cause to wish value, to wish blessing, to wish um, a positive uh, thinking towards them, that God's blessing upon them. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. In other words, you guys have honored me, and I hope that God honors you for your blessing towards me as your mother-in-law. Verse 9, the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. She's praying that they would find another husband since they've lost theirs. They can all relate. They've all lost their husbands. And so in the midst of this, you see not only this blessing, but then it says she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept with her. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. So they want to return, or at least they say that they're going to return with her. And she frees them from that obligation. She says there, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? I don't have anything to offer you. Aren't we better if we all find husbands and move on? And are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband even tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they're grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, you recognize her brokenness. You, she's confessing here that God's deal, dealt harshly with me. She, everything's against me. Have you ever felt like that? I have. God's dealt harshly with me. Everything that he's allowed in my life right now is against me. And yet what we know from the New Testament is when we're in relationship with God, if God is for me, then Paul writes, nothing can be against me. Famine, death, sword, uh, anything that happens uh, is actually for my good. God's going to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He has reasons and we don't always understand, but he's going to bring beauty for ashes, And if you know anything about this book, that's what's going to happen. But she doesn't know that. She's in the middle of her despair. So oftentimes we see people and they're walking around like Eeyore and going, everything's against me. And you know what? Oftentimes we as Christians aren't very compassionate. We go, no, it's not. God's good. And it's like, just just grieve with those who grieve. It feels like it, even though it's not true. And, And just be with them. Uh, encourage them, but just encourage them by sticking around, even though they're a downer. You know, God's going to bring them through, but just be patient. And so she says, all things are against me, even the Lord's will here. Verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And look at this, Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, but Ruth clings to her. Now, Naomi loves these girls, and I know that because she gives them freedom of choice. She gives them the freedom to depart from their obligation that they've made in their sorrow. In their sorrow, we're just going to go with you. We, wanna, we love you, and we want to—and she's like, hey, let's be realistic here. You guys need to remarry. I can't provide anything for you. I don't have any sons. Even if I had one today, are you going to wait until they're old enough? You can go, really. It's okay. And she means this. She loves them, and love also always gives a choice. Jesus doesn't force us to believe in him. Jesus doesn't force us to follow him. He's kind. He's not willing that any should perish, but he also gives us the ability to exercise our will. He doesn't force us to follow him. And so they lifted up their voices and they wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her and she said, Look. Your sister in law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts you and me. This is covenant language. She wants to knit herself to the people of Naomi. So I wrote down here in my margin, Naomi had something Moab could not offer. Naomi had something that was throughout their 10 years of relationship, she saw something in Naomi that wanted her to forsake everything she knew. When I was dead in my sins and trespasses, when I was in college, when I was living on my own, when I was rebelling against God's commandment, I had people in my lives that would treat me like God treated them. And though I didn't want to give up all, I wasn't there yet. I wasn't ready to forsake everything I ever knew. I wasn't ready to forsake my sin even. But when I saw in God's people something that the world didn't have to offer, I wanted it. And at one point, I had to decide whether or not I was willing to forsake all to go with God's people. And when I finally did, there was so much scariness to it. There was a fear of, I'm leaving everything I know. What are people going to think? But once I got to the other side, I realized that there was so much I didn't know about God that he still had to reveal to me, but I wanted what those people had, and I had to go the way of the cross. I had to go through Jesus. And so I love this about Naomi. Look at this. Naomi's a mom. And I picked this book because we're on Mother's Day. And many of you moms feel like you have no influence Many of you feel like you've failed your children. Many of you feel like you've got sickly and pining and just carrying them along and, and, and nothing's going on spiritually. But the reality is Naomi had influence and she exercised that influence. She didn't go out and, and do uh, stadiums and preach the gospel like Billy Graham. She didn't go to foreign countries and do missions. Uh, she lived faithfully to God in her home. And the people that God brought into her home saw the character and the attributes of God and they wanted what she had. That's amazing to me. With the faith of a mustard seed, just being faithful in the small things, God's moving a mountain. I think that we have the technology to move mountains. I've seen them do it. You guys remember the big hills that they had up in, in, uh, the, in the lead belt? The, the big, um, yeah, the chat dumps. I was looking at a picture the other night and I saw the chat dump hill behind Lee Mechanical. I watched them move that one summer. They took truck after truck after truck and moved all of it out because it was blowing around and spreading lead everywhere. And then they literally covered the whole mountain with rocks. We have the ability to move mountains but God moves the mountain of the human heart. Have you ever tried to convince somebody other than they already believe? It's more impossible than moving mountains. It is. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. We dig in our heels. That's what we do. But Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads men to Repentance. By the way, arguing never changed anybody's heart. If anything, it hardens the human heart. You don't care about me. You just want to force your will upon me. I don't see Jesus arguing with people a whole lot. I see him presenting the truth. I see him showing compassion. I see him uh, staunchly uh, dealing with those who were religious. And I see him showing compassion towards those who were not. But I see human hearts changing over and over again, and I never once saw him get into a fistfight. I never once saw him debate with somebody on Facebook. Now, I get it. They didn't have Facebook. He would have. No, I don't think so. I think he would have talked to the people that were in front of him, and he would have confronted them with compassion. Now, does that mean you have to agree with everything they say? No. But I, I think that we can disagree agreeably and win more souls than we can punching people in the face with the bible. And so Naomi, she by her conduct wins the heart of of her daughter-in-law. And I have therefore I have therefore you. I say that I didn't put any slides up, but in 2 Corinthians chapter uh 2 it says this in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2:14 2, says Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. But to the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? To Ruth, The lifestyle that Naomi lived and the way that she conducted herself, she was being saved. She was getting ready to go to the nation of Israel and experience the blessings of the covenant people of God from God. So to her, the conduct of Naomi was a fragrance of life. And it seems to me, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, that Orpah was like, I'm not leaving everything I ever knew. I I got my family here. And it, to her, it probably seemed like death to leave the country. And so Naomi takes back with her only one of her daughters in law because of the aroma of life coming for her. Ironically, she has the aroma of life coming from her life when they're surrounded by death. Isn't that interesting? She's lost everybody. That's the stench of death. Like, hey, I think you're cursed. How many people probably would start to think that, and yet uh, she goes with her? So verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Not like she was mad at her, but well, you can't argue with her. She, hey, I'm coming. I'm clinging to you. And I think it's interesting because 1 John 4, verse 19 says, we love God because he first loved us. She loved Naomi because Naomi had first loved her. What a picture of beautiful love of God. So when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. And the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now remember, her name means pleasantness. And she says in response, do not call me pleasant but instead call me mara which means bitter for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me i went out full and the lord has brought me home again empty now knowing what we know about ruth coming back with her and if you know what's going to happen uh, to her she seems like she's went out with everything and came back with nothing but she actually came back with something she came back with a daughter-in-law she came back with this woman who has character. And so um, she has more probably than than most because of what she has in character. So verse 21, she says, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest and so many times when we're in the state of affliction uh, we feel like well there's nothing good that can come from this and all we can see is the cursing and not so much the blessing but there was a relative of Naomi's husband a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech <coughs> excuse me his name was Boaz so Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose side I may find favor and she said to her go my daughter then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech so in the language there in verse 3 where it says and she happened to come to It would seem like, just by coincidence, she ends up in the field of this man. But let me point out to you that in in the relationship we have with God, there are no coincidences. There's no such thing as luck. God is in control of every detail of your life, whether you want to admit that or feel like that or not. He is. And so God is for them So no one can be against them. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So he's this man from their family. Now, in the nation of Israel, there were laws to protect the poor. I alluded to that earlier. And in this case, when they would go out and glean a field, when they would harvest a field, they were not to go all the way into the corners. They were to leave some there which is interesting now because if you've ever seen somebody bale hay, I used to do that every summer, we would take the mower because we had one of those sickle mowers and we would go through the corners and we'd get as close as we could, but then we'd come back out so you don't ruin the fence or the mower and you'd cut down what you could cut down. Sometimes you just can't get into the corners, but they were told not to. They had people that were reaping the harvest by hand, taking in the sickle, cutting it up and, and pulling it all up, throwing it on You know, a cart or something like that, but they would glean by hand. And so in the law of God, it seems completely unnecessary. He says, don't glean everything from the field. You're like, why not? Well, that was God's welfare program. You were to allow the stranger, the foreigner, the poor of the land to come into your land, and whatever you left behind, you were supposed to leave some behind. And if you would do that, they would be able to come in and they would be able to pick what they needed they would be able to leave and go home and feed their family. How cool. And, and so God is protecting not only those who can, but also those who can't. And, and God's welfare was God's idea. Now you could argue with me about how we handle it and administrate it. And I think it has become this over encumbering, that's not a word probably, but this, this big ordeal that costs more than it should. But the reality is God cares about the poor and he provides for people that cannot provide for themselves. He provides for people that can provide for themselves. Um, And so here he is, uh, he's given this way and she shows up in this land. And the first thing she does is I want to take care of Naomi. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. Now, remember, this isn't a dark time in Israel. And there's this man, he walks out to the people that work for him, his servants, and says, the Lord be with you, expressing blessing, acknowledging God's presence even in our daily work. He says, the Lord be with you while you work. And so he's with them, and they answered him, the Lord bless you. So not only that, but the servants respond and bless their boss. The Lord bless you, Boaz. We love working for you. The last time you said that to your boss, I love working for you. And they recognized the blessing upon his life. They wanted to bless the hand that was feeding them, pure and simple. And so it's bright spot in a dark time in Israel. And it says, then Boaz said to his servants who was in the charge of his reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant was in charge of the reapers and answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, "'Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves.' So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So then Boaz said to Ruth, "'You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not, glo- glee- excuse me, do not go to glean in another field, nor go with her, but stay close by, my young women.' let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? So he's protecting her. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn from the well. So she fell on her face. She humbles herself before him. She bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm only a foreigner. Now, Foreigners, even in that day, were treated with contempt. You're not us. And yet, look at this, the character of Boaz, he reaches out to her. Now, I don't think at this point he has interest in her. I think he does, but he looks at her, he calls her daughter. So, anybody single in here? Men, if you have a woman in your life that is not your wife, if you will treat her like a daughter if you will treat her like a sister, then you're not going to do wrong things with her. Boaz treats her respectfully. He calls her out as if she's family. And I love this because it changes your aspect. It changes your attitude towards women. But she says, how in the world are you treating me so nicely? I'm a foreigner. I'm not your people. I know that I don't deserve to be here. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before me. I know that you've left everything. I know what that costs. I've seen you take care of your mother-in-law, even though your obligation really is done. He recognized Look at this. He's not calling. He doesn't say, hey, look, you're good looking. I'm going to treat you really nice. He says, I notice your character. And I tell you what, I've said this before, but the, th- the first thing that, that drew my heart to my wife now was not so much her appearance. It was her character. She had character unlike anybody I'd ever seen before. The way that she talked about her family. I wanted my kids. I want my kids to, to glean from that. Because character outweighs everything else. It just does. Proverbs chapter 31, if you want to turn there with me, we'll just read a few verses. Just the first one where he starts talking about the virtuous woman in verse 10 of chapter 31 of Proverbs, he says, Who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far beyond rubies. Anybody in here own a ruby? That's right, because we don't have that kind of money. I don't. I wouldn't mind having one, but I don't know what I'd do with it. Can you fix a car with that? You know, but, but the reality is a ruby is a very expensive stone. So to have a woman in your home who is virtuous, to have a woman gleaning in your field who is virtuous, who has godly character, you're rich recognize that. If you've got a mom who has virtuous character, you need, to, you need to thank her for being your mom or a wife. It's just, it's more precious than silver and gold and rubies. And so who can find one? And, and maybe some of you ladies have read Proverbs 31 before and you're like, yeah, that's great, but look at the list of to-do stuff. That's a lot to do. I would encourage you just be good at the ones you are. I don't think that this list is a to-do list. It's actually a list of things that virtuous women do, but I don't think it's all at the same time. You know, it's not another to-do list. It's actually the character that God will produce in you and he'll do through you in different seasons. In different seasons, these things are able to be done. But he recognizes character in Ruth and he says this to her. He blesses her. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under those wings you have come, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus has just spoken to the rich young ruler, the young man who had everything. And he had come up to Jesus, and he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus looks at him. He, he doesn't look at his appearance. He doesn't look at what he's wearing. He doesn't look at his family he came from. He looks at his heart, it says. And he says, One thing you lack. Take all that you own and sell it to the poor, or sell it and, and give your money to the poor because the one thing he lacked was a character attribute. He was hoarding up things on earth rather than storing things in heaven. And for everybody, that's not necessarily the case. But right after that, he looks at his disciples in verse 23. He looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again. They were astonished because it was looked upon in Israel, if you had stuff then you obviously, had, you obviously had the blessing of God on your life. And he's like, no, no, that's not how the kingdom works. But then he says, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And again, they're greatly astonished, saying among themselves, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And Peter said, well, you know, God, you know, Jesus, see all the things that we've done? We've left everything to follow you. As if we've done some great thing. Peter's like, well, we've left everything. You proud of me, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, yeah, I'm proud of you, but you're actually getting the better end of the deal is what he's going to say. He says, because assuredly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. Think about Ruth. She's left all of that. She lost some of it, but she left her homeland. She left her place of comfort, but there's a promise to those who are willing to do that. For my sake and for the gospels, they've left all these things who shall not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, so there's that part, and in the age to come, eternal life. So, maybe you've had to leave some things in order to be a part of the kingdom of God, but you're blessed if you do this. Consider the cost, yes, but consider the blessing for me, when I first started getting ready to follow Christ, I had all these questions of what, what about this, and my life's going to change, and what about my, what's my family going to think, and look at all, at all the things I was going to lose, possibly. But Jesus says here, you're going to gain. If anyone would gain his life, he must first lose it for my sake, is what he says. And Naomi and Ruth are a picture of this because Naomi's lost everything. Ruth gives up everything. And what we're going to find out is that she ends up gaining way better than she had. I mean, she was married to either sickly or pining. I mean, you don't want to give that up. And, you know, for whatever reason, she lost her husband. I mean, I don't want to make light of that. She was broken. But the reality is, uh, God gives her Boaz, this godly man, and so beauty from ashes. But I think we're called to live where we're at. I think we're called to to just respond to God's graciousness. And I don't, you know, I look at this story and I go, man, I, I don't, you know. Ruth reveals the heart of God. Ruth reveals the heart of God, this book, because we see this picture of God redeeming brokenness. But do you realize that God desires to reach the whole world, not just your world? For the Israelites, God desired to reach the whole world through the Jews. And they took what God gave them, they kind of held it to themselves. And so through God's providence and through coincidence, His control over things, He sent them to a land where they ended up losing everything But when she comes back, she comes back with this daughter-in-law that ends up being a blessing to her and then ends up marrying Boaz. And out of that comes from the fruit of their marriage. We're going to find out uh, Obed, who is a descendant of Jesse, who is a descendant of King David. She gets to be a part of the lineage of God, which is amazing because God desires to reach the whole world, not just the Jews even from the Old Testament. And God desires to reach His whole world, not just yours. So the brokenness that happens in your world, you could be bitter, you could be Mara, but recognize that God doesn't desire to make you bitter. He actually desires to reach more people. And in brokenness, we become more open to what He wants to do. Had she continued to have her family, who knows what would have happened happened with Ruth. And so um, I guess the point I want to make from Ruth is that as moms, uh, sometimes we feel like we've lost our children. I'm not a mom. I get that. But the risk is that when we lead our children to the Lord and, or when we have seasons where we didn't and we're experiencing the consequences, God's going to work all that out. We just need to be faithful today. Ruth didn't know she was going to get a husband. Ruth didn't know that things would get better for her in the land. She just recognized the blessing of God on Naomi's life, and she wanted to be a part of it. And so I don't know where that leaves you today. Uh, moms, just keep being moms in the Lord. Trust Him with the daily. It's hard. It is. It's not easy. Uh, Mother's Day is an awesome day to celebrate, but the reality is, after Mother's Day's over, you're going to be still doing all the same stuff, and nobody's going to high-five you for it. But God's watching and he's using it. And so just keep going. And if you feel like you get you live in a dark world and your situation is never going to change, keep trusting him anyway. He, he's going to use everything you do to bring glory to his name. And when Jesus is lifted up in your life, he draws all men unto himself. May not be your children. I also wrote down on my margin here that, you know, not, not every child that you have will be actually your child. It might be somebody else's kid you raise. Do it unto the glory of God. I am blessed with a good mom, but I also have many moms within the church that have poured in value that I cannot count. I was praying and thanking the Lord for them this morning. So many. So many meet practical needs, somebody that pray for me constantly. Uh, moms are awesome. And so uh, praise the Lord for moms that love Jesus. So Father, thank you so much for the story of Ruth. Thank you for all that can be gleaned as you leave little pieces for each one of us to pick up this morning. I pray that as uh, some here, Who've never had children would recognize that uh, we don't have to have children in order to have value in the eyes of our Father. That there are children that they don't even know about, that they've raised in the way that they've taken care of them, and shown their godly character. There are also moms in here that desire to see uh, their children walk with you, Lord, and they feel like they failed, or they feel like there's no redeeming the situation. But y- you take situations that are impossible and you do the impossible. You move human hearts easier than we can move mountains, and we can. But Lord, you've moved our hearts. And so, Father, I pray your blessing. I pray that your face would shine upon each household that is represented here. And as your face shines upon those households, that you would continue to raise up crops, a harvest of righteousness unto your glory, and use us in the daily. Help us to be faithful.